Ladies and gentlemen, Innkeeper's Guestbook Podcast, episode number 25, also known as Quarter Century. <laughs> uh, the reason Tamara's laughing is because she's saying that uh, she has a relative of hers that's going through a quarter life crisis right now. And you know what? That is a real thing. It is. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I know I had one, but I'll probably say that for another podcast. The Rundown, you know what it is. Union Inn, 1112, 3rd Street, Northeast. Steps from Noma Gallaudet Metro Station. Nice brisk walk to Union Station. A nice leisurely jog to Capitol, Capitol Hill. All that good stuff down there, about a mile away. Tamara, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. And no, this isn't a part three from uh, uh, Tamara <laughs> Vuc- so Vuka, Vuka um, our lovely guest from episodes 21 and 22, uh, who stayed with us, healing all the way from uh, Bavaria in Germany. No, this is Tamara Thompson from mm-hmm. right up the street in Silver Spring. Yeah. A Kennedy alum. Boo. Oh, come on. I know. I know. Your I went school to Blair. was the, I, the, the yeah. shit. I know. Yeah, your school was an awful, awful one. Mine was a good one. Well, no, no. You had all the bad kids. Well, <laughs> yeah, we did, though. <laughs> um, I can't speak for uh, post-1998, but when I was there, when Blair was at 313 Wayne Avenue, us Blair Blazers, we blazed all the way. We blazed a new trail. Wayne Avenue? I'm trying to think where that is. That's uh, So if you're in downtown Silver Spring, uh-huh. you know where the Whole Foods is, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, that's Ellsworth. Uh huh. And you take it all the way over to Wayne Avenue. Okay. Like right where the church used to be. Oh all right, you know. All right, gosh. you know where the um, library is. Yes. The new five-story library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Yeah. It's a pretty library. Across from. Okay, so Wayne Avenue splits the uh, library and the parking garage across the street. The school is down there? Yeah, down the hill all the 98? way. 98? Well, that was last year. And then it moved to Four Corners. What? Yeah. I know I'm know old, that. right? I'm old, right? <laughs> because actually, I went there for a month before I moved a little further north Okay. to go to Kennedy. Okay. And when I went there, it wasn't... I don't remember it being downtown no, Silver Spring. I remember it being like... It wasn't. Somewhere, maybe it was like a transitional building or something, Mm-mm. but it wasn't the four corners. I remember that it wasn't at four corners, okay. It was somewhere else, maybe with some weird trans in some transition phase or something. And then I went to, um, would you go like Northwood it, or something? It may have been there it over there by Arcola, there. yeah, okay. You know, people who are like outside of this area are gonna have, they no, have no idea, idea. what we're talking about. But all, all, everybody from Montgomery County, Maryland, that grew up there is like, oh shoot, like they are yeah. straight Google Mapsing it right there in their head. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for joining us today, Tamara. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So, fun fact about Tamara: she is fluent in French. Uh, I wouldn't say fluent. Yeah, all it takes is two weeks out there, and you'd be good to go. <laughs> Uh, is that the only language in which you're fluent? Uh, well, first of all, like I said, I wouldn't say I was fluent. Um, I like to say that I talk like a five-year-old where it's like you can say anything you want. You can ask for anything, but you just don't use really big words and okay. you use like really simple sentences. Okay. So if you drop me like in the middle of France, I could figure out I could do whatever I want. But everyone's going to be like, oh, she's 
she's okay (laughs) she's okay exactly i could get her but she's not gonna be like super like complicated eloquence whatever you know what i mean but they won't be an asshole to you like they would be to me because i'm just straight up american (laughs) i guess and i'd be trying to play charades or i'd I'd get frustrated and say look where's the mcdonald's (laughs) (laughs) Um, i guess they would just i mean if i asked a question i'm sure they'd they'd figure it out but but any other languages uh yes actually bombra which is a west african language i was taught that in peace corps okay um so when you go into peace corps they uh teach you the language for whatever village or area you're staying in so you can like talk to your villagers properly Wow. so i learned that and i still like crazy but i still use it and i haven't completely forgotten um like all my words and that one i might talk like a two-year-old but um my my villagers they still call me and they're still like hey how's america and i'm like good how are you guys how do you spell that bambara mm-hmm. b-a-m-b-a-r-a b-a-r-a okay it's um there are a lot of other languages in the area that are related to it that have other names like one called jula um and it's spoken i don't even i don't know how to, to spell jula but um Bombra, Jula, and I think another one. Oh God, I don't want to say the wrong thing on like a podcast that's going to be listened to by a lot of people. But it's all good. Um, <laughs> there's there are other languages that are related, um, and it's spoken in Mali, um, Eastern Senegal, Northern like Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso, like that area. Okay. So as far as Bambra, what are the countries that uh, in which one would speak Bambra? What I just listed. Oh, I thought, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought that you were saying because there were other languages that you listed. Oh, no, well, they're all like those... related. Okay. So, um, yeah, like if I went to Eastern Senegal or Northern uh, Ivory Coast, even though, you know, those languages are related or they might speak Bambra too. They might call it something slightly different, but I think they would kind of understand me because I've I've worked in when I came back to the U.S. I worked in a company I had a couple couple co-workers from um, Ivory Coast and I would say hello greet them in you know in Bambra and they would be like oh hey you speak it oh my god that's cool they'd understand me you know okay so yeah I like that so you said you're in the Peace Corps yes um, did you do that like uh, right after undergrad or did you do wait a little bit and then uh, go or? I waited a year um I worked for a year and then I decided to go because I kind of I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I was like, might as well join the Peace Corps. Okay, All right. And (laughs) um, tell us about that whole experience. So I guess first off, you're saying that they give you like a what a six month intensive course in whatever language that you're going. Yeah. Is it six months? Is it maybe longer or shorter? Ours was like three months. Wow. But it's like language study from like all day long. All day long. So what happens if you're just not good at languages? Some people weren't. And And they they just just don't go? They, I mean, you can, you kind of have a choice. Like, first of all, you always have a choice in Peace Corps that you're not held there against your will. Um, But I, I can't even. So first of all, the rules have changed a lot um, since I was there. I was there in 2006 to nine. Um, But from what I remember... Um, there were a couple of people, especially older volunteers who was doing it, who were doing it kind of like during retirement. Um, and one of the guys, he could not pick 
pick up the language like at all. And I think he decided to just go home, come back to the U.S. Now, was that was his choice, though? I think so. Okay. I remember one person, I don't know if they were part of my group or like another group. Um, they also couldn't pick it up and they decided to go to a country that was English speaking. I think it was like maybe like Liberia or Sierra Leone or something like that. So then the Peace Corps will reroute you to yep. wherever you Okay, good. Mm-hmm. I'm just wanted to just or like, Gambia. sorry, you didn't pass. I think there, but you do have to take a language test. And I don't know what happens to the people who don't pass. I don't remember. I don't yeah. remember. And it was so long ago. Like, if anyone out there, like, if this is totally different, then just forgive me. <laughs> just like, it was good. so long ago. <laughs> but, but we're here to talk about your experience. So yeah. while you were in the Peace Corps, mm-hmm. um, you then you know, passed all your language exams. I'm assuming you did it here and not in the West African country. You no, they, t- they taught us there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you're like immersed into it. Oh, yeah. That's actually smart. Okay. So what country did you start out in? Um, Mali. Okay. I was in Mali the whole time. Okay. And for those of us that are geographically challenged, where in West Africa is Mali? Like what are the two countries it's sandwiched in between? Um, it's sandwiched in between Senegal and Niger. Okay. Uh, Niger is not Nigeria. No, it's not. Uh, it's different. Um, it is east of Senegal, west of Niger, north of um, um, north of Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso, and like those areas. South of Mauritania. Okay. I don't know if any of that makes sense to people. So I'm waiting yeah. for Google to load. It's going very, very slow. But it says uh, it's a landlocked country in West yes, Africa, landlocked. a region geogra- geologically identified with the West African Craton. What is that? It's the eighth largest country in Africa, which is an area over 1.24, 1.24 million square kilometers. And the population is 18 million. And the capital is Bamako. Were you there? Bamako, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ba- oh, Bamako. Okay. Well, that's what I say, but yeah. Okay. That's what we say. All right. Ah, there we go. It's in the southwest corner, I guess you'd call it, of it? Mm, yeah. Or south part. It, I mean, kinda... if you think about, basically, like, if you think about Africa as a continent and that big bubble that's to the west... It's like in the middle of that big bubble. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's pretty much like the best way to describe it. Now, another thing that's interesting about this, sorry for the geography lesson if, you, if you, you're not geographically inclined or you just don't want to care about all the stuff that goes on in Africa, but it interests me, so y'all going to listen. All right. <laughs> so um, it looks like more than half of Mali is this yellowish color on Google, which I'm assuming desert. is the Sahara Desert. Yes. Yeah. And so I've been up there. Oh, really? Yeah. I've been to Tim- Timbuktu. Okay, so we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but it looks like uh, the southern half of Mali. So Mali's shaped like a backwards L, if you will, almost. I like to say it's shaped like a butterfly, butterfly. But with one of the wings is a little bigger than the other. That's the one in the Sahara. Mm-hmm. The other half is in the southern half. And if you look, it's like a line straight up, almost like a latitude line where you can see where the desert stops. Mm-hmm. And then basically... Uh, I don't want to say civilization, but it no, seems like a lot like of people it's are. More, yeah, yeah, it's more greenery and shrubs, and and actually, you go really, really far south to like the city of Sakasa, which is all the way in the south. It starts to get really nice and green. Okay, and that's still in Mali, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so it's landlocked. How does that play into Mali and its uh, 
what happens there? Well, there's a river. Okay. A big river. What's the, the name Niger of that river? river? The Niger River. Okay. Um, and that's a huge, yeah, it's a huge thing. So there's still lots of fish. Um, yeah, there's just lots of stuff going on in the river. So yeah. Um, how does that play into it being landlocked? Like historically, I don't, I don't know. I'm not like an expert. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, the north is desert. I've been up to um that area. You said Timbuktu. Yeah, I've been to Timbuktu. No, is that in Mali? Yes. Okay. Um, Timbuktu is oh, so you can't really go up there anymore because it's uh they're in the middle of a civil war. Okay. And um, I went up there in 2007, um, seven or eight around there before the war started. Um, there are these ancient manuscripts that you can look at when you go up there of different science and learning because it used to be um, a center of learning like um, like a university that was up there way 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 back in the days like I don't even know want to say like what what years these were <laughs> it was like way before like you know I guess I guess maybe when Europe was in the dark ages or something I don't know I like way back <laughs> So um, you can see these uh, manuscripts in Arabic, I think. Um, but yeah, it looked like it. And they would have translations written next to them in French. And I saw things like ophthalmology and chemistry. Um, like actually written out like that? Or are you saying yeah. like uh, the, the, the <clears throat> manuscripts would describe, chemistry would describe? It was described. So you would see like um, in a museum, like under a glass case, like a, um, like a bunch of papers all written in like Arabic looking language. And um, next to it, it would have like in French, it would have a label describing like what this particular like text is. Um, and also the year. So there was the year 900, the year like 1000 or something like that. So, yeah, it was. During the dark, during the, the quote unquote <laughs> dark ages, huh? Yeah. 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 I okay. mean, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. I can only imagine. Man, that's like in the middle of it, yo. What? Okay, so it's not all the way in. It's close though. Oh, no, oh, it Timbuktu? is. Yeah. It's up there. It's up there. It's up there. And the funny thing about it is that, um, so it's an actual, like, city. Um, but then when you go to, like, the north outskirts of the city and you just, like, kind of keep walking, like, past all the houses, it's just sand. It just ends. It's like, it's like a beach that never ends. Yeah. It just keeps going and going. And it's the first thing like I saw. It the first time I saw that, I was blown away. Like in the sense of a dead end of a of a of a residential street block and then you just keep going and like the road just ends and that's it. Well, Same. yeah. What what was it? A, yeah, actually I think it was a road. I was at um I don't know if it was paved, but it may have been. I think I just got to the end of like a um like I mean, there were a couple houses out there. It was like a little sparsely populated. Um, but then basically you just walk to the edge and it's just like these sand dunes that just keep going. And it's like, it's like you're, at, you know, if you've ever been at a beach, you're just at a beach and there's just sand, but it's just, there's just no water. 
It yeah. just keeps going. Just keeps going. And and, going, and every going, once going. in a while, there are like these little shrubby trees. It's not completely sand, mm-hmm. but it's it's all it's all sand. And it's the first time I'd ever seen anything like that, and it still it kind of blew my mind. Okay. I wish I could go back and I wish I could go back there. But so awesome you're saying city. that area right now is in civil war. Yeah. That's a shame. Yeah. So, um, on lighter topics, uh, back to, uh, Bamako. Mm-hmm. Um, that was your primary city that you were in during the Peace no, Corps? No, actually. Okay. Um, that's just the capital. So the Peace Corps headquarters were there. Mm-hmm. So if we had meetings or, um, training, we'd have to go there. Um, I lived... 25 kilometers south of a town called San. Okay. And that's S-A-N. And it's the one of the closest cities, I think, to the Burkina Faso border. Okay. And I was actually on kind of the border of two different ethnic groups. Um, so my village still spoke Bambra. Okay. But if you went over like two or three villages, you get into another ethnic group and they speak a language called Bobo. Okay. And it's yeah, it's just completely different. Okay. Um was there any <clears throat> were they peaceful? Oh yeah. Virginia? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different Yeah, just a different thing. Um yeah, even now there's my area is pretty cool. My like I said, my family still calls me. I call them my second family because I mean I lived with these people for so long. Uh-huh. Like they are my family. Um, they still call me every once in a while and let me know that things are cool. The kids are doing all right. The kids are in school. Um, um, yeah, just like general updates. Uh, so there's no like, as far as I know, any conflict going on between like villages or anything. But yeah. Okay, so you are in Mako. Mm-hmm. You do your uh, French training, French language training. No, nope, bomber training. Bomber training, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, your bomber training. And then after that's done, you head east to San. Mm-hmm. And just outside San. Just outside San. And do you pretty much spend your entire Peace Corps time there, or do you uh, motivate somewhere else as well? Um, most of. So normally it's around two years. Okay. I spend the rest of the two years there, but I extend for six months, and um, that six months I spend in San, and I work for um, a non, I, I don't want to say work, but I kind of intern for a nonprofit. Okay. And when you did that, was your initial intention to stay longer than the six months, or only just the six months? I was trying to extend for the third year, Okay, but... Um, I didn't get to. They didn't approve it. They said you can stay six months and then you gotta go home. Uh, from a visa standpoint or Peace Corps standpoint? Peace Corps standpoint. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So why do you think that was the case? Why they told me only six yeah. months? I had a medical issue. Oh. Okay. So they were like, "You gotta go home." <laughs> gotcha. Um, Which actually isn't anything major, but like they were just like, "You should just go home." After only we're only giving you six months, then you go home. <laughs> So during your time there, uh, what was the primary focus of your efforts? Oh, I was an agriculture volunteer. Okay. Um, so my major, my biggest project was a mill, like a grinding mill, 
Um, have you ever seen those, like those giant mortar and pistol things that, you know, African women use and they kind of pound like grain in them? Yes. So that's, that's really hard. I tried it. It's really hard. Um, and it's time consuming too. So, um, it took me a while, but I was able to get just a grinder, like a mill, um, installed in my village. So they built a house and... We got an engine and um, we not only got a millet grinder, but my dad actually sent some extra money from the U.S. and got a rice and a shea nut grinder for them. And I think my it turned my village into like this little like hub and yeah where all the women from all the surrounding villages are like oh we can go over there and like get our stuff around now and it costs money like maybe five ten cents like a bowl um but then they were supposed to set up like a bank account for the women's association so the the money that they got from all of that um then went to um support the women's association in the village that's great and so you say grinding rice um Mm -hmm. is this to just get the rice um i think rice grains or was it to like pound it up into like a mush no i think to um wow i'm not an expert on rice at all um i think it has like a little it has a covering on it doesn't it i i i don't think i've ever seen raw rice i think rice has like a little has like um i don't know how to describe it not like a, a husk. Sh- yeah, like a husk. And are there more than one grain? Is there more than one? Oh, grain I would in- think only one. But wow. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I've never really. I've, paid I've too much wondered attention. that before. Just I in the think, sense, I of- think it does have like a husky thing, and I think there's a ways to. But they like, um, whereas in the U.S., a lot of us like long grain, like the 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 grains like actually like intact. Yeah. Uh, when I was over there, um. And I think if any other Africans listen, listen to this too, they might like realize this. But I realized that uh, my villagers liked grains that were like kind of cut up or grains that had been like kind of broken. I don't know why. Just like a person, like a cultural preference. I just thought it was kind of weird, but not weird. But, <laughs> so um, b- before you had the, uh, the, the, the mill that you had installed, uh, there uh-huh. were... To, to de-husk the rice. Were they doing this by hand? Well, no, they were mainly using eating millet and sorghum. Okay. And they were doing that in those large um, pounding, like those large mortar pistol things. So when you say millet and sorghum, for mm-hmm. those of us that can't put a picture to those words, what is that? It's a grain. Okay. I want to say they're in the corn family. Okay. So a starch. Um, Yes. Okay. I could be wrong, but um, millet looks like a cattail, but it has like little grains on the outside. Okay. But it doesn't grow in like a husk like corn. It grows at the very top of the plant. If I, yeah, that's how it is. And then you can cut them and then like you can kind of put the whole like cob and then pound it, and then the little grains will come off, kind of like corn, but like, yeah. Sorghum, um, the leaves look like corn, but the top has kind of like a, how do I describe it? 
um, think of like an like a animal tail, like a tail, and it because it has multiple strings, and then um, it just kind of flops over, and the grains grow on it, and then you cut that off, and you can do the same thing. You see how it has like that little okay top part of it that looks kind of like I don't know how to describe it fluffy. Yeah, it's kind of like couscous. Is that what couscous looks I like? Know, Actually, I don't know what couscous looks like at all. Today it says today.com, I'm sorry. It says is sorghum the new quinoa. Cuz it does look like that. But. And all the all the people in America are going to be like, "Oh, we got this new grain. It's so healthy." When mm-hmm. people in West Africa have been eating this forever. Exactly. And then you're going <laughs> to go to some fancy fancy restaurant and they're going to charge you a gazillion dollars yep. just mm-hmm. for the way they prepare it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have all these different things they add to it with 17 adjectives in front of it (laughs) and it's just gonna make me upset um but um at some point i need to try it but i need to try it from i need someone who is from west africa to make it for me yeah Yeah. see um they used to do it in like i didn't like how they did it they made this thing called toe which is pounded you get like kind of a mush it's semi-solid like like say you had grits that kind of stood out for too long and it wasn't like super like running anymore it wasn't running anymore oh yeah and it's hard and you try to take it out and it comes out it's like like still gelatinous like so they like legit made it like that and then there was a sauce Mm -hmm. i mean you can there's all different kinds of sauces just whatever sometimes it has meat sometimes it's just like no 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 meat just like a sauce but you're supposed to take it kind of like people do like um nigerians do fufu you mold it in your hand you dip it in the sauce and you eat it okay so but it's sorghum or millet um but i didn't like most of the sauces that i ate so what i would do in peace corps this is really weird but what i would do is um my host family used to give me my daily ration of toe which is what it's called t-o-e T-O with like a accent. Okay. Um, and I would go back to my house and then I would go to my little little like, like portable gas stove and stick a couple like handfuls in the little pot, put some extra water and some milk and sugar <laughs> and it would be like cream of wheat. <laughs> and that was my dinner. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. You know? I know. Did they ever find out? I don't think so. Now they will, right? <laughs> um, but uh, so, um, it, was that like dinner most nights? Yeah, that's what they eat a lot. Okay. Yeah, and if you get a little extra money, you can eat some rice. Okay. And if you get a little extra money, you might kill a chicken. Okay. Um. Yeah. Holidays, you get to eat meat. Not you don't always eat meat. Somebody in the village might kill a goat. You get some some goat meat. Okay. What about vegetables? Oh. <sighs> Strangely, people had a lot of vegetable gardens, but I don't remember like people always really eating them. They'd kind of just sell them for money. Yeah, because there's lots of tomatoes. There's, there's cucumbers, there's um, potatoes, and I think they would just, I think the villagers would just sell it. And I can't speak for everybody, but from what I saw, I think a lot of villagers would just, like, sell for 
sell their vegetables for money. And my village was pretty poor. Um, I don't remember my host family ever really making like vegetables like that. It was more value to them to sell it than to yeah. consume it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and so were you the only Peace Corps volunteer that was in this? Um, mm-hmm. Okay. And is that typical? Yeah. One. But um, there was somebody who wasn't too far away. There was one girl who was about um, one kilometer. I want to say west, but I could be completely wrong. But she was over a little bit. So if I was lonely, I could always ride my bike over there. There was another girl who was kind of on the other side of San. Um, so I would I could take a bus to San. And there was actually, it was only 25K, so the bus was like half an hour. It would spend longer for me to like wait for the bus than actually be on the bus. Um, but yeah, and then I'd go to her place sometimes. Um, other, there were other, there was like a huddle of us there, like all outside of it. So sometimes we'd come in for parties. We'd have our own little parties. How often Um, would that happen? Every weekend. (laughs) (laughs) And was everybody from America? Yeah. Yeah. It's a purely American program. Okay. Um, so when you would bike to see your friend that was a kilometer away, Mm -hmm. um, was like say you went at night mm-hmm. would you go at night no okay not because it was unsafe but just because i couldn't see yeah <laughs> so uh, that's what i was gonna get to like um municipal lighting was Only it in on, the city no no i'm i'm like biking like in the middle of nowhere i'm biking through like the like trails so, like there's nothing you could see the most stars out there that i've never seen the milky way like that like anywhere in the u.s like but along the main road like the road i was saying i could go to to get the like the little mini bus to sun um sometimes it'd be like street lights yeah and once you get into the city there's street lights okay yeah. and in the village that you were living in uh, no electricity no water okay mm-hmm. um Okay, so I feel like if there's like a zombie apocalypse or like if everything shuts down, I would be well equipped because I know how to like I know how to live without electricity or water like I can make it work. Okay. (laughs) so so walk me through um, some of the differences um, between having running water and electricity versus not and specifically those that we may not think about. I mean, were you lighting candles all the time? Uh, I had a kerosene lamp. Okay. So that means you had to get gas? Yeah. Okay. And was this the um, same gas you used for your stove? Or did you use natural gas for that stove? No. Um, you could get like a little, I think it was propane, a little little gas tank. Okay. A little gas tank. And then once that ran out, you could just exchange it in the city. Okay. Um, and is that at Bamako in the city? or no, the city San. San, okay. San. Um, I had car batteries that okay. I hooked up to like little LED lights. Okay. And I had a solar panel. Okay. And uh, that is something that you had sent over to you or was that something that was already we there? I just bought. My villagers helped me buy it in Sun. Okay. Because mm-hmm. they, a lot of them, if they have enough money, they'll have the same hookup too. Okay. So they're used to it. Like with solar panels? Mm-hmm. Lots of solar panels over there. <laughs> I, I wish y'all could see my face I know, right now. You should see like, his like, face. Duh, you know? But here in America. I mean, when you know? electricity is not like 
um, readily available. Um, you could, it, it's, it's really like a matter of money. Um, because we could easily get like these Chinese, they're cheap Chinese solar panels. They worked though. But, but that's funny that you say that because here in America, why don't you get solar panels? Oh, well, it's a thing of money. <laughs> right but over there it's like no no no. actually solar panels are very cheap and actually but it's functional. still a, it's still a thing of money because it's like not a lot of villagers i mean these are subsistence farmers so it's like they're literally just growing what they eat and it's hard to make extra income but um if they do and you have the money to go get like a little solar panel then cool then do it you know um, but there's, there's still that, you know, there's not a lot of money to really go around. Okay. Um, but they're, they're there. I remember when I was, and this is like a little, and San is not a big town. It's not even a city. It's like a town, but they were still there. You could get a Chinese solar panel. So I'm going to go down a different road a little bit. Okay. Were they happy? <sighs> I want to say yes, but they knew they were poor. But if they didn't know they were poor, do you think they'd be happier? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. I have. I really don't know. It's uh, the reason as is like philosophical. <clears throat> I'm saying there are a lot of people, specifically in America, that base their happiness on things they see, things they know. You know, mm. um, and if you're one who is without, and you're constantly bombarded with images of people who are with, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure that can contribute to one's unhappiness, right? Mm-hmm. But if you take all that away and you don't know. And just live your life as you were living it. Um, I don't know. I I, I know I, I, when I was at Cuba. Um, at Cuba? I'm oh, sorry. In Cuba? In, in Cuba. I visited Cuba oh, nice. uh, in uh, 2002. Cool. And. Uh, 2002? Yeah. A while ago, I'm right? I'm giving you like a side eye on that one. Yeah. How'd you get down there? Oh, with the. um. Well, it was before Bush really started cranking down on all the stuff. There was still an educational visa that, that oh, was still in place okay, that we could okay, go okay. to do. Because okay. um, I was in school at the time. Um, but some of the nicest, happiest people mm-hmm. I've ever met in my life. And um, the average American looking at them, like, but, uh, but man, they're like living in poverty and this, this, yeah. this. But it's, it's all relative. Like, it's all relative. I feel like it's kind of the same. Let me tell you. Um... There's nothing like West African hospitality. Please like, continue. Please continue. <laughs> Please continue. Like we think, I mean, actually, I don't even think Americans think that they're like hospitable to each other. But these people would give me like the shirt off their backs if they could. And if even if it's literally their only shirt, like they fed me and they're like subsistence farmers who could like barely even feed themselves you know um i've never known the type of generosity and also just the type of friendliness 
And that's, and this is a little kind of different, but that's also where I learned the art of conversation. Because, how do I say this? There's just not, there's not a lot there. Like, I mean, yeah, there were actually a couple of TVs, like little black and white TVs in Village. You know, you might get the car battery, hook it up at night and maybe watch the news or something. But for the most part at night, we're sitting around like a fire and we're talking, sharing stories, talking about what Farmer 1 did to Farmer 2, like what kids are, what the kids are doing, like whose wife is cheating on him or not. (laughs) You know, it's like... The human experience. Yeah. And... You know, there's there's just not a lot to do. So you just, you talk. And you sit around and you talk. And there was a lot of nights where I just sat and I still couldn't even speak Bomber correctly. And I just sat and I just listened. Um, but, you know, also sitting and listening, I remember there were certain times where my host mother would share some really like... Oh yeah, she start gossiping with me about things going on in the village. So there's always so, there's always oh, there's, one in the village. And you know what? And you know what? You also start to realize that everybody is the same. I yep. remember the one moment where I started realizing um just how similar every mother is. No matter where the mother is like in the entire world. One of my host little brothers and one one of my host brothers. He was little. He was like maybe 8 or 9 at the time. He was like, hey, mom, I want to, can I get some change? I want to go buy, like, oh, wait, no. I think she was going to send him to the little store in Village. It's a tiny little place where you could just get, like, some, just a couple things. And she's like, hey, Thomas, go buy so-and-so. And And he's like, cool. She gave him the money. And he goes, like, and she's like, straight there and back. Don't play along the way. (laughs) And she was so scolding but it had gone to a point where it's like i started understanding what she was saying to in bomber even though she wasn't talking to me and she was just talking to the kids and i was like every mother would say that pretty much you know like because because kids are (laughs) mischievous you know (laughs) telling you um so uh what i wonder is and this is this is the last thing on that whole philosophical road if you will Mm mm-hmm the whole thing about the hospitality thing that you were saying that they would give you the shirt off their back, that was the exact same thing I experienced in Cuba. Oh, really? Exact yeah. same thing, mm-hmm. right? And it blew my mind. It's the nicest people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, is that mindset a learned mindset? Or is that the natural mindset that one would have? Going the other way or flipping it is not being hospitable a learned mindset i think it is learned which one i mean either way i mean because that's kind of how you said it like either being hospitable hospitable or not being hospitable it's learned via your culture but wouldn't one think that in in cultures where um like you said, subsistence farmers or whatever, where you don't have a lot, mm-hmm. that one would be prone to be inhospitable because you have so little. No, because I think 
I mean, look at even at our culture. Mm-hmm. Aren't some of the poorest people the ones they usually give first? Like, you know, you notice like how, say, if there's somebody who needs something, somebody who needs like, um, you always hear stories every day about somebody who's in a shelter. Maybe they need some food. They just need a couple dollars. Usually the ones who've experienced that are the folks the first to give. Whereas people who have been wealthy most of their lives, they're less likely to give. So I would feel like these poor people in these countries, they know that everybody's struggling. They know that. I mean, I'm an, the thing is, I'm an American, though. So it's like the foreigners here and we have to take care of her. And that's just kind of let's just we have to take care of this of this person who's here visiting us you know as they would probably take care of someone who came from any other country my thing that i wonder is um is being inhospitable a learned experience because you know when we all started out no one like from humans Mm -hmm. no one had money Mm -hmm. and at some point somebody got money and Mm -hmm. perhaps somebody was worried about losing that money and felt that being hospitable what might contribute to them losing what they have and they're so scared of losing it that they become inhospitable and it just perpetuates itself from there i agree i can see that i'm not saying that's the truth i just wonder from a theory standpoint Mm -hmm. but i digress (laughs) she makes fun of me for saying that so much but hey what's the drinking game like every time he says i digress you take a shot but i digress (laughs) all right so um, so Mali was pretty much the only country that you went to for Peace Corps. For Peace Corps, yeah. But in terms of like v- leisure, you went to other countries, or are you yes, saying that you you for spent leisure? I went to other countries. I traveled. Okay, so where'd you go? I traveled to Senegal. Okay, and I traveled to Burkina Faso. Okay, and Ghana. Okay, and those are all neighboring countries, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, which tell us what you liked about each one of those countries. I love Dakar. Dakar, Senegal is like my second home. Okay. I love it so much. Now is that a is it's right on the Atlantic Ocean. Yep. Um is there a beach area? There's beaches all over. But I mean like from a from a <laughs> touristy standpoint or is it just uh-huh. like where the land meets the ocean? Um there's both. Okay. Um, I mean, Dakar is like, it's in a peninsula that goes out to the Atlantic. So there are beaches everywhere. Um, it's just, it's just cool. I like it. It's really, it's like a nice cosmopolitan, like African city. It's nice. I like it a lot. All right. Then I need to check that out. You should. Um, I really, I actually went down to Ghana as well. Uh, um, in Ghana, I went to first stop Kumasi, then you went down to Accra, and then over to Takaradi. Um, so my Ghanaian people will probably recognize those places. I want to say Accra isn't just as amazing. It's just that I haven't spent as much time there, so I don't, I can't remember. It was so long ago. Okay. But I do remember it being like super nice as well. I just didn't go out as as much as I have in like Dakar. Okay. And Dakar, I did everything. You go clubbing, uh, go to the nicest restaurants. Dakar's amazing. How long were you in Dakar? Um, no, no time. Like I just back and forth a couple times. Okay. I oh, back the, and forth. So more than once. Yeah. No doubt. So, 
So actually, after Peace Corps, um, came home, grad school, then went back to Mali and, um, and did kind of a job that was between Mali and Senegal. Okay. So with that job, when you say between Mali and Senegal, meaning physically between them, like the city no, you were in, or you like jumped between the I two for the job? I between the two. Okay. Mm-hmm. I jumped between the two. Um, a lot of inner Senegal um, villages and towns I went to, but if I could always get the chance to go to Dakar, I would. Okay. And so the second job, what did you do? Oh, um, actually, there were two. The first one, I um, worked for um, a social enterprise that did micro-savings for subsistence farmers. Okay. And the second one, I was working on a USAID-funded climate change project that was working on um, helping animal herders. Um, um, how do I explain this? I'm like such drawing a blank all of a sudden on like what I did for a year and a half. It's all good. Um, <laughs> um, so we did ecological modeling. So we were helping animal herders find uh, we models so they could find better vegetation for their animals when they were herding and also kind of help them predict like um, vegetation patterns into the future. So was this like a, 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 a satellite imaging type thing where you would look over time of yeah. where the green was and say hey yep. you might want to try going this way yeah i mean i didn't do any of that i just managed it a little bit yeah cool did you enjoy it yeah i liked it mm-hmm. okay it was the first job where i was really like kind of autonomous i guess um because my boss was here in the u.s at a university um so i was over there by myself and I could just do whatever. I mean, get got my work done, but just do whatever I want. Okay. If I say, hey, you know, next week I want to go to Senegal and go visit these people, I can just do it. Okay. So two questions. One, mm-hmm. what brought you back to the U.S.? Oh, that job ended. The funding ended. Okay. Um, so um, we just, we wrapped it up and I had to come home. Okay. And the second question is, do you see yourself uh, in the future living for an extended period in Africa? I think I'm trying to settle in the U.S. now. Um, I did for a while want to do that. But what I want to do now, actually, is um, to visit more of the continent and to see different areas. I really want to go to East Africa. Um Kenya, Uganda, uh, Tanzania. Ru- yeah, that's on Ru- my bucket list. Yeah, all day. And also Southern Africa. Like I made kind of an online friend in um, Namibia. I go check that out. And South Africa, and you know Botswana, places like that. So I wanna, I wanna travel more. Okay. Uh, last thing on Africa before we come back home. Um, <laughs> You told me they gave you a hectare, or is it a hectare? Hectare. Hectare. A quarter. I got a quarter. A quarter hectare. And they, while you were there, they gave it to you. This is on your first run, right? My my Peace Corps time, yeah. yeah. Okay. Tell us about that. Um, So I, I don't remember how this even came about, but 
So the village has land surrounding it, and um, I think there was some land, and I think my host family was like, hey, you want to do some farming like we do? <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so they gave me like this little quarter hectare that was about quite a ways out, so I had to walk out there, um, and they were like, what do you want to plant? So I said, peanuts. And um, I actually didn't do anything. <laughs> Um, I got these, I hired these guys to like sow the peanuts and then, um, weed the peanuts and like pr pretty much take care of it. Um, I did a little bit of weeding. I went out there, looked at it every a, a couple times. Um, but they actually, I think what happened was, um, because, I mean, the guys that went out and did it, it wasn't, it's not, wasn't their land. So they had no incentive to, like, really, like, take care of it. Um, I think they didn't harvest some, the peanuts in time. Um, so I don't think I got, I didn't get a really, really good harvest. But I got about um, this big bag full of peanuts. But still compared to, like, other people's, it's, like, nothing. But it was still a lot of peanuts at the time. And the cool thing was that um, they have this way of doing them that are kind of like roasted and salted. Um, so they just boil them in like a lot of salt water and then just dry them. And um, it just it just tastes really good. <laughs> so. Okay, so uh, if you pull a peanut plant out of the ground, mm -hmm. can you eat it right then or do yeah, you have I've to boil that. it? Okay. No, I've eaten raw peanuts out of the ground. It's it's good. Does it taste a lot different than peanuts um, as we're used to? Yeah. Okay. And then um, the peanuts that you had from your harvest, mm -hmm. did they taste like boiled and salted? Mm -hmm. did they taste different than salted planter, planter's peanuts? Or peanuts that you would get at, say, Five Guys or at the <laughs> ball, ball game? Um. Yeah, a little different. I mean, it's still obviously a peanut, yeah. but it's, it's slightly different because I don't know. Maybe the peanut variety is different or something. I don't know. But it was still still it was still good. OK. But then also everything is. No, kinda, I, I expect it to be better. <laughs> um, Everything is also kind of relative because I was years into this village where I hadn't had like any Western food. So anything was going to taste good. Yeah. And it's not to say that it didn't, but I mean, if I ate them now, I might just be like, oh, I'll have the planters. Or you might be like, wow, <laughs> I can't eat planters ever again. <laughs> True. One of the two. Right. One of the two. All right. So we're heading back to America before we stop okay. on the mainland. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about Jamaica. Okay. You are of Jamaican heritage, correct? I am. Now, were you born in Jamaica? I was or? born there. Okay. And where in Jamaica? Uh, Spanish town. Okay. Where in the island is Spanish That's town? That's just outside of Kingston. When did you come to the States? I came when I was two. Okay. And so I didn't even start really talking yet. That's why I don't have an accent. Ah. And uh, how often do you go down there? Mm. Or when was, when was the last time you went down there? How about that? Um, oh, wow. Last time I went down there was two years ago. Okay. But... I there was one time before then two years ago I was like what 34 um the first time I went back after leaving at two was when I was 30 wow so when I went down there to myself when I was 30 I had to it was my own trip okay yeah and when you say your own trip like 
solo or did you bring any of your siblings and you just saying your parents weren't with you i took my sister okay just my sister gotcha and family friend and how long were you there for when you first went i think it was a week okay Mm -hmm. and you stay with relatives uh no we actually did the resorts and stuff oh wow um so we went i went with a family friend and um um yeah we stayed in a hotel okay it was nice okay all right um the second time I went, which is the one two years ago, we stayed with all my relatives. Okay. Yeah. So that was uh, no hotels, just family. And uh, while you were down there, as well as when you are around, say, your father and family, mm-hmm. do you pick up the accent? <laughs> yeah, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all day. All right. Um, so back on the mainland, uh, your you your father has his own business. He does. What does he do? Uh, so he is a statistician. Okay. Um, he has a statistical data analysis company. Okay. And you work for him? I do. I work for him. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) so what do you do with his company? Oh my God. I do like a little bit of everything. (laughs) You're the mortar. You're the mortar that keeps the building up. I really feel like I am. Um, wow. So... I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit. Yeah, but you toot it all day. <laughs> so I got PMP certified last fall. Congratulations. Thank you. You know what that is? Uh, project management. Uh, professional. Professional. That was a hard ass exam. Really? Four hours long. And so are you able to use project, Microsoft project to yeah. do it? When, like when you're taking your exam or is it no, like? No, no, no. That I learned afterwards, but I do use MS project. Okay, so what does the exam consist of? How to manage a project. Planning, executing, monitoring, evaluating a project. Uh, those are just like three of the five like sections of it. And is it like a written exam or is it kind of like a... It's a computer-based exam, but yeah. it's... Um, like uh, they give you scenarios and you have to... Yes, gotcha. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So... Again, congratulations on that. Thanks. And, oh, yeah. so, and so, how do how do you how do you uh, leverage that intelligence and that uh, uh, certification within yeah. the context of your dad's so, job? Um, I don't feel like I actually do very very much project management. We have a project director who's above me, but she's um, way more technical with the contract that I'm working on. I'm working on one contract um, that he has with. Um, an education project um, contract um, but other than that uh, well actually backtrack a little bit with that one I write a lot of I write a lot of content um, and my boss the project director she um, she's like the subject matter expert with all that stuff otherwise I do all the little back end stuff for him um, I feel like I'm his, like, secretary at the time, but I also do a little HR stuff. I do a little IT stuff. Um, I just kind of make sure that things keep moving. He is busy going after new proposals, and a lot of times I have to be like, don't forget this, don't forget that, do this stuff. I'm starting, like, a marketing thing now. Um, so I'm trying to get all that, like, online social media stuff up. Um, and that's... I need one of those. (laughs) Straight up. 
Yeah, and he just doesn't get it. He doesn't even know how Facebook or Twitter works. So that's all. Hey, you know what? Him and I get along just fine. Because I have no idea what happens in that realm either. Yeah, I don't really get Twitter. I'm a Facebook person, but I don't I don't get Twitter. Do you yeah. think he's grooming you to ultimately? He is. Gotcha. He says that he wants to retire at 70, and he's 65 now. So you got five years. I got five years, and yeah, I'm pretty much being groomed to take over. That's how it's supposed to be, <laughs> honestly. So you said you have a younger sister? I have two younger sisters. All right. And are they involved with the business as well? Um, the middle one is not at all. Um, she is a math teacher in DC. Okay. Hey, I'm standing right now. <laughs> hey, we need more intelligent people out there yeah. uh, 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 helping our uh, helping our kids to be good at the subjects that we need to be good at, mm-hmm. specifically mathematics, because it's universal. Um, so I salute your sister, your middle sister. Cool. Um, and what about your youngest sister? <laughs> she is, uh, she does help. Okay. Um, she is helping me with that social media marketing stuff and she's really good. She's a creative person. Ah. So she's really good with graphics and design and so that kind of stuff. So. And is there a big age gap between the two of you? Um, okay. So me and the next, the middle one, there's, what was it, five, five years. And then the next one, there's four years. So okay. between me and the last one, it's nine years. Yeah, so you all are different generations. I wouldn't say generations, but I mean... Well, if we're on the cusp, I guess. But I mean, I'm not sure if you're Generation X or if you're, I don't know, Gen Y or Millennial. I think We're millennial Millennials. Starts, I'm pretty sure we're Millennials. Yeah, because I think Millennial starts in like uh, early, early, early 80s, but like 82. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a Millennial. You don't feel like you're... Oh, I wait. know I'm not a Millennial. <sighs> No, I know somebody who's 40 who still identifies as millennial. Hey, they can do that. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> but I don't feel like you're Gen X either. Uh, well, no, you're told. You, act, you act like a millennial. Come on. No, I'm bougie. I'm not a millennial. <laughs> if I was a millennial, I'd be completely savvy with all this you're tech stuff and doing all that stuff. But I'm not. I'm you very, just, I'm very old school. No, I'm, I'm serious. I'm really not a millennial. <laughs> um, but, but that's good. Um, and so... Do you want to take over his business? Yeah. That's good. I do. All right. And so that means you got to go with him on these proposals. Or does he do in, in, in office or in conference room pitches? Or is it all submitted? Submitted. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so from a statistical standpoint, you understand like what's done pretty much um i don't know all the details yet but and he keeps saying oh i gotta get you to teach you all this stuff blah 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 but he's busy and like he'll probably um the things that he's working on now are really big like multi-million dollar um so it maybe there'll be like a small one um that he'll like maybe help me help have me help him like um with the details writing it doing the the cost the budget stuff like that so. but in five years you'll be straight i think so and i'm thinking and i hope he doesn't hear this because he might go a little crazy but <laughs> i'm thinking of getting an mba uh-oh just for the practical knowledge of like business stuff okay <laughs> what are you you taking notes now <laughs> uh, well no i'm i'm saying that um <clears throat> I, I I understand uh, from a um, 
on paper standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, getting one's MBA um, is a regarded widely regarded as a smart move. Okay. Um, I wonder for a lot of people, not everyone, but for a lot of people, um, the debt that one would oh, yeah. go into, or even if you have the cash to pay it. I have so much student loan debt right now, though. I have yeah. so much. And and that's the thing. It's like, it's one of those things where, hey, is it really? And that's why I'm not even thinking of, like, a big fancy school. I just kind of want, like, a little local. I just want the knowledge, you know? I feel you. I feel you. But a lot of, a lot of, uh, with a lot of business schools, for you, it's a bit different because you, you have, you know exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but with a lot of schools, people need the name of yeah, that school. You know, I was telling another friend of mine and he was like, if you get an MBA, you have to do it at a place where you can use the networks correct, and be able to like drop that name and stuff. Yeah. 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 Or just have people that, I mean, it's, it's not something that should, should be understated or, or people think that people who say that about the network it's not something that should be overestimated. It actually is extremely valuable, not just in the mm-hmm. standpoint of the job that you want to get mm-hmm. or um, going to business with someone else. Mm-hmm. It's also in the matter of whatever that you're doing, you may need someone mm-hmm. to hire within your company mm-hmm. or to um, provide assistance uh, with you know, the direction of whatever it is that you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And your friends there might be able to recommend someone that they know that may or may not have been in your school or whatever. Yeah. That when they reach out to that person, that person will answer the call and be like, yeah, no doubt. And it's kind of like a, a warm call as yeah. opposed to a cold call to somebody else. Yeah, I get and, it. Um, if you know exactly what you're trying to do for that. But um, yeah, just, just weigh the cost benefit analysis yeah. is what I would say. Yeah, I mean, I'm um, not thinking of doing it now. It probably be another two three four years maybe i don't know but it's just kind of in the back of my head i've got to at least knock down the student loan debt that i have at least a little bit Mm -hmm. um before i would consider something like that makes sense yeah you ready for the seven questions oh yeah i guess you forgot didn't you (laughs) i did all righty question number one book tad to the library okay um i have two you got to pick one. You can tell me both, but you got to pick one. Uh, um, I'm going to tell you both. Okay, my favorite, favorite book of all time, or at least the one that just really is kind of stands out to me a lot, is called The Poisonwood Bible. Okay, who's it by? Oh, my gosh. I can look it up. If you yeah, please time. do. I have an idea, but it could, I could be caught completely off I feel like it's Barbara Kingsolver maybe I'm wrong okay by Barbara Kings wow Kings Oliver Kingsolver Kingsolver oh Solver I got it yeah it's like got it right yay yes Kingsolver okay yep so this is I guess this is the one I would say add to the library okay um this book is about a family starting from about the 1950s a white missionary family that goes to Congo okay 
and um, it's husband and wife, and they have four daughters. And the husband is a preacher, and he's on this mission to preach to this small Congolese, Belgian Congo um, village. And um, he's kind of like a narcissist and kind of crazy and like, you know, not really thinking about how this move is going to change his family. Um, And it goes through um, Congolese independence and how it affects them. Um, But also just, you know, through even when they come back and even through civil rights in the U.S., um, just kind of how it all um, like has like this major effect on the family and the daughters and um, it's yeah it's just kind of crazy how all of them are so um, changed by the experience but also I guess I'd say it's like historical fiction because you learn a lot about Congolese independence Okay, you learn a lot about Congolese independence um Recently, the book that haunted me is called um, Home Going, and somebody lent me this. And I once I started reading, I could not put it down. I don't remember who that's by. Is it fiction, nonfiction? That one's fiction. Yagyasi? Yes, All it's right. an African writer. All right. And this one is about... It's um, another historical fiction. Uh, yeah, kind of. Okay. Um, this is also about uh, seven generations, starting with, um, bef- like, I think in Ghana, um, with one lady through two of her daughters, seven generations to present time, where one of the daughters stays in Ghana and the other one gets shipped, shipped over to the U.S. as a slave. Through slavery, through... Uh, independence through civil rights through everything how the effects of things that happened in the fact in the past just like affected generations of this family Mm. it's amazing it's so good okay that's good it's like there's still certain i mean i'll be like walking on the street and something will remind me of this book and there's one character in particular that like i just want to i just like cry (laughs) is awful (laughs) but I mean it's just so beautiful at the same time and um yeah it's it was really really like touching and memorable both of them are to me okay number two podcast to subscribe (laughs) um my favorite podcast is LeVar Burton Reads that is the second time that has been recommended really Mm -hmm. guess what Guess what? Guess what? What? I'm seeing him Halloween night here in DC. He's, he's here. Go- is he going to be doing like a live recording mm-hmm. of? All right. Mm-hmm. Now, are you going to dress up? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really much of a Halloween person, but okay. I'm looking forward to the story. Okay. So, what is it about this podcast that people are drawn I don't to? No, it's just so good. He's just such a good like narrator and the way he like reads and then the stories that he picks are just so good now the books that he reads are like children's or young adult no, books right he reads adult science fiction okay and so, some of them are even like 
Yeah, it's definitely adult science fiction. So I mean, nothing too race. I keep cutting you off. I'm sorry. It's okay. No, no, um, it's, it's, it's your <laughs> podcast. I, I, I'm I'm playing the back. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing like too crazy, but there I do remember like there was one episode where he was like, "It's not quite for kids," but yeah, it's it's adults. Okay. Um, and uh, does he? Um, these are all short stories. Short stories. I mean, I guess they have to be, right? Yep. Because um, it's like an episode is like an hour or so. So, I guess none of these are really famous short stories, are they? Because I, I some of them are like famous, like our authors. Okay, yeah. but I mean, I, I mean, I haven't heard about sh- short story science fiction mm. being a thing. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but um, I am finding that my favorite genre is short stories. There was one story. You're a millennial. <sighs> Shut up. <laughs> there was one story he read that was so good. I bought the book, and it's just a book of short stories. And the book is called, and this is all my, all my books have like themes, um, but it's called "What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky." Okay. Uh, and that short story is about Africa again, in the future where climate change kind of like takes over like and climate change floods and all kinds of you know horrible things like mess up like america and europe and the only place really left to live is africa mm-hmm. and how the europeans have kind of taken over the continent again and it's not pretty mm. not pretty but it's mm. a beautiful story <laughs> well, hopefully there's a happy ending in there somewhere where everybody can get along. Yeah, it doesn't seem like people. I don't know. Yeah. Can we ever really get along? Um, I I think so. I hope so. But I just wonder what it'll take to get there. Yeah. Number three, uh, something that you didn't know that you needed until you got it. Travel. Okay. Explain. Um, I started traveling when I was in middle school. And what happened was um, I was in band in middle school. Band camp? No. (laughs) Middle school band. And um, one of the teachers was from uh, St. Louis. St. Oh, God. Sorry. No. St. Thomas in the Caribbean. My aunt is from St. Louis. I'm sorry. That's (laughs) from St. Thomas. Okay. Um, U.S. Virgin Islands. Yes. And um, he was like, I want to take the whole band on like a trip. And I don't know how we got it approved, but he did. So me and a couple of um, maybe about half the band or whatever got to fly down there and chill out with his family, go to the beach. It was fun. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like U.S., but it's so different and it's so amazing. And that just that just started everything for me. In middle school, I did that. Then in high school, I took two trips one trip in high school, I went to um, France. And then another trip in high school, I did like a Switzerland-Germany tour. Now, when you went to France, were you speaking French at that time? No. Okay. Um, and then in college, I did a study abroad in France. And that's where I really started to, yeah. So you fell in love. Did you go to Paris, I'm assuming, when you went in high school? 
Um, high school, yes. When I studied abroad, no. I stayed in Nice, which is the south. Well, was, did you have the stereotypic, you fell in love with Paris and said, I got to go back, and that's what drew you to do your study abroad? Um, maybe. I feel it's hard to answer that because now I've fallen out of love with Paris right now. But... <laughs> Last time I was in Paris, it did not treat me really well. I was almost mugged, but whatever. Um, I mean, it still has a soft spot in my heart, but... Yeah, it's French. Yeah, nothing like Dakar, though. Ah. <laughs> what's what's the, um, the, the the language in Dakar? French. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, continue. Um, yeah, so then study abroad in junior year of um, college, all of junior year. Um, then came back and then Peace Corps. It was just like this, just like, like, what do you, like this snowball that was growing of just like, I have to go here, I have to go there, you know, I want to see so much more of the world. And since then, you know, I've, it'd be a little difficult. I haven't been to like a tremendous amount of countries compared to a lot of people, but like to some like crazy, like traveler people. Yeah. But, um... I've been to a decent amount of places. Um, so would you say it awo- it awoke a curiosity of seeing the world? Oh yeah, gotcha. yeah, and it's and I literally have like an itch now mm-hmm. where I can't stay in one place for too long. Mm. It just gets, it just, and this might actually be one of the longest times I've stayed. Oh wait, no, I actually went to Dakar last summer, so it's not too bad. <laughs> We know but, where to find you. <laughs> but um but um yeah, and I even if it's just in the US, even if it's just to another city, I just have to go somewhere, see something different. Okay, so it's a matter of you need to get away from wherever you're at within a normal interval of time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Number 4, bucket list place to travel. This is a place that you have been <laughs> that you would recommend for the guests. So, do I even need to ask? Do I even need no, to ask? You know what? It's not actually going to be exactly where you think it is. Okay. I'm actually going to expand out. I'm going to say the whole continent of Africa. No. See, see. so the previous episode, the guy, Eve, he did that too. And did I'm, he really? Yes. He said did the he whole actually? continent. He said the whole. I mean, he did ultimately give me a city, but he said the whole continent of Africa is like, yo, really? you just. Like, uh, most people just don't go. And I'm not even talking about just black people. I'm talking about everyone. Yes. Most people, people don't. People, people are sleeping on this. Like, seriously, you yeah. are sleeping on Africa. Yeah. They think that it's like, you go there and there's just nothing. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to, like, walk around in the bush. I'm not going to see village and starving kids and blah, 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 and disease. No, Europeans have been vacationing in Africa forever. Yeah. And, like... There are resorts, there are beaches, there are wonderful rest. Actually, I think I had some of the best sushi I've ever had in Dakar. Wow. I mean, probably outside of like Japan or whatever, but like, it was amazing sushi. And it was like at a restaurant that was like right on the beach. Now, was your sushi chef from Japan? I don't know. Okay. I didn't see the sushi chef. Chef. Soup. That's a tongue twist. Sushi chef. Yeah, that's 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 definitely a tongue twister. Um, okay, so all right, so the whole continent of Africa. But if you had to narrow it down to one place, you would say, "I wish people could see my face," because I'm just like pointing at her to say the the MVP I city of this whole podcast. Accra. 
How whack is that? Like, how whack is that? She didn't say a cry one other time this whole podcast. Meanwhile, there's another city that she's on multiple occasions been like, it's so beautiful. Like, no, I, have to, I just have to go back there. Matter of fact, when I was over there, like, I had to go back and back and forth and back I and forth. I say that for a reason. Oh, because I mean, Americans, I feel like Americans are probably most comfortable somewhere they can like speak English. Okay. And I, uh, I think Accra developmentally is like a step up from Dakar. Oh, okay. Um, so you're saying it's like a gateway drug to Africa. Yes. Okay. Accra is the gateway. I'll give you that. To bougie Americans. All right, cool. To Africa. Dakar is a little, it's still a little like. Yeah. You, you just like, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Um. It's like, um, <laughs> you can't even think no, I got some metaphors, man, but it's just, I, I'm not sure if I should say them. Um, <laughs> Dakar is still like, you still gotta like, you, you, you've seen a lot and it's, you still gotta like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, uh, Accra is like, uh, if you haven't had fried chicken before going to KFC, <laughs> whereas Dakar is like, uh, <laughs> going to Guthrie's in Tallahassee, Florida. Shout the fam, y'all. Uh, y'all will feel me if you actually go and eat there. All right, uh, number five, uh, fifty mile detour restaurant. So if you're within fifty miles of this restaurant, it makes sense for you to detour off of your intended path of travel to eat at this wonderful, scrumptious, delectable restaurant. There is a chain that I first saw in Dakar. Okay. Um, called Nice Cream, and it's N apostrophe Ice okay. and Cream. Two um, words. Yes. Okay. Nice scream. Okay. Um, they actually expanded to Bamako, too. So right when I left the last time, there was like a new ice cream store there. Okay. Um, it's just great ice cream. It's great ice cream. And it's just a straight up ice cream just shop. Just ice cream. I mean, it's no different than like a Baskin Robbins or anything, but it's just when you're in the middle of the desert. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, yeah just... get the people what they want, right? So, okay, if you were to walk into a Baskin Robbins, you are going to see vanilla. You are going mm-hmm. to see chocolate. You're probably going to see strawberry. Mm-hmm. Um, are those staples there as well, or is it they're just staples. like the whole different like? They're staples, but it's a little. There's like more Frenchy like flavors. Like what? Um, like praline and like pistachio. I like pistachios here. Yeah, but um, I mean, is it a vanilla with the crumbles in it, or is it the whole thing is almost like a sorbet? Not a sorbet, but you know what um, I mean. Like there's there's it, there's no there's no adding there's no filler in it. It's just the ice cream itself. I want to say it's just the ice cream itself. Okay, it's just. It's just good. I don't know how to describe it. Like, okay. Um, I mean, I don't want to say I'm an ice cream connoisseur, but sometimes, you know, some are more smooth than others. Some are more like full, like creamier. You're talking about the creaminess, right? Yeah, but I mean, like, uh, Not if, like a if you sort- get cookies and cream, it's got yeah. the cookies in it. Oh, they have a lot with like stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, like but, the the praline, the the when you were saying uh, pistachio, mm-hmm. did it have pistachio nuts in it throughout, it or was grounded. it just the whole? I actually, I never get that flavor. I don't like it. Okay. But yeah, they'll have like um, cookies and um, all kinds of 
I think I got like a strawberry cheesecake or something last time I was there. I think I had little bits of like I had like a strawberry swirl and then it had like um little bits of like cakey kind of thing in there. I'm with that. Yeah. So what was your favorite flavor there? Probably that one. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Actually, right. strange fact about myself: I don't like chocolate ice cream. Okay. It's not every other flavor but chocolate. Is it that you just? don't like it or you just don't per- it, it don't doesn't do it for you it doesn't do it for me okay. i only like chocolate in its yeah and this goes for all other chocolate this is so such a random i digress <laughs> <laughs> now don't 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 take a shot off that no nah, it's only me it's only me um chocolate is only good to me when it's like in a bar or like a little like kind of like like a like a, a chip yeah like a just pure i mean it's not pure because it, you know the milk and the sugar and stuff but when it starts being mixed with so much stuff i don't like it i don't like chocolate cake really i don't like chocolate ice cream i don't like it's just getting too much you want a straight no chaser straight straight chocolate yeah yeah all right i can dig it number six your number one skill this is your number one home <laughs> craft i guess i'd say french really i think so but you just said that I I could only speak like a five year old. Yeah, because okay. I don't I don't think I have a lot of skills. <laughs> and that sounds terrible. It's the only thing that it's popped not in my true. Head. That's what it is. It's not how true. How is that not? How do you know it's not true? Because you're an intelligent young woman. Mm. I'm sure there's a number of skills that you have that uh, escape you at the moment. Yeah, they escape me. Or perhaps you haven't even identified them yet. Probably. But it just allows you to do certain things in life. I mean, uh, with walking, a good proficiency. walking, my motor skills, those are pretty good. I can pick up a pencil. I can okay. walk in a straight line. Did you play sports? No. Okay. Did you play any instruments? Band camp, what'd you play? Flute. Okay. Could you play any other of the woodwinds? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, when you come off a part two of your podcast, watch, you're going to have, you're <laughs> going to have another skill. Like, oh, I should have said this before. Maybe. Yeah. All right. So French. Perfect. And last but not least, number seven, your number one talent. This one. So you gave me the questions before and this one took me the longest to think about. Like I could not think of what my number one talent is. Saving the best for last. <laughs> um... This might sound weird, but I feel like the thing that comes the most naturally naturally to me is loyalty. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Do tell. I don't know. Elaborate, it's, please. It's like when I have a friend or like even a relationship or just something, it's like, that's my person. You know, like... It's just, I don't know. I just feel like, even with my friends, I just feel like I have this strong, just like, we take care of each other, you know? We take care of each other, and we do right by each other, and they need anything, I'll just help them out. I think you just answered the question that I posed earlier in this podcast. (laughs) Is hospitality or unhospitality a learned Uh, trait? Mm. Comes natural, right? But that's just me. You're not the only one. <clears throat> You're not the only one. Mm. But I, I digress. <laughs> Please take continue. a shot. People out there, take a shot. Take a shot. Take a shot. <laughs>
right. <laughs> Another one. Oh, oh, or continue, please. Sorry. Oh, um, yeah. So I'd say that um, maybe some empathy in there, too, because I have this thing where it's like, usually if I see something happen, I can very easily put myself in that person's shoes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that there's a connection between those two. It's almost mm. like because you have empathy that drives you to be loyal because you know how someone being unloyal in this situation would hurt you. Mm. I never even thought about, about that. Boom, boom, boom. That's smart. I have my moments. <laughs> All right, great. Uh, you got any social media you want us to plug or any uh, websites, businesses? Ah. <sighs> Um, I guess you could do my, my Instagram. Okay. That's the one I'm, I guess I'm on the most. At what? T D D M M Thompson. T H O M P S O N. Okay. And right now it's all pictures of here back at home. But if you scroll all the way, way, way back to the beginning, there are lots of pictures of Mali, Senegal, pictures of a trip to Asia that I took. Um. Yeah. All right, Tamara. Thank you so much for joining. I can't wait for part two. There's gonna be a part two. Oh yeah, there's gonna be a part two. Oh my gosh. Well, maybe like, you know, maybe down the line, you know, maybe after I cross the hundred mark, we'll bring you back. We'll bring you back for 125. Okay. How about that? Okay. Or we'll bring you back for 50. How about that? <laughs> and then it'll really be like. Mm-hmm. I'll be in a big midlife studio. crisis. No, no, no. I'll be, in a, I'll be in a huge studio. Or what? It might be like February, right? With all the guests that are here that are taken to the podcast and people that are It'll just be February banging down my doors to ask to come on the podcast, I'm telling you, it's gonna happen. I hope so. I think Actually, so. I know so. I have faith so and all that good stuff. So on behalf of Tamara, I am the illustrious innkeeper Freddie. Like to thank you for joining us on this podcast, and as always, we'll see you next time.